Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna on News Talk. You can email the show alive and kicking at newstalk.com or find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Claire's Lair. Coming up this morning, clinical hypnotherapist, best selling author, and keynote speaker Fiona Brennan has just launched her new course, Light Up the World. 70% of adults globally report one or more new sleep challenges since the start of the pandemic, and 25% reported an increase in the prevalence of anxiety and depression since COVID 19. Fiona uses cutting edge and up to date research in the areas of hypnosis, positive psychology, lifestyle medicine, neuroscience, and mindfulness to help people work through these issues and be in a better position to take on all the world is throwing at us and our stress levels these days. The Health at Every Size Summit is taking place in Dublin on April 9th, bringing together a range of speakers and health experts to discuss the approach that will help people be at peace in their body, regardless of shape or size, promoting compassionate ways to care for yourself. Led by the Association for Size, Diversity and Health, it's an approach which hopes to end weight stigma and empower people to better health and self-worth. I'll be joined by nutritionist Neve Orbinski to find out more. And a recent survey by webdoctor.ie asked people how the pandemic had impacted lifestyle habits and changes in physical and mental health. And they found that 89% of people plan to prioritise their health more in the next six months. And nearly a third say they'll spend more time outdoors to achieve this. I'll be joined by GP Fergus Glynn to go through the stats. So what kind of a health and wellness week did I have? Well, I've had a bit more of a down week this week, I'd have to say. I often refer to life as spinning plates rather than a juggle as the plates and the inability to keep an eye on them being a bit more of a challenge, I feel, than balls in the air. But sure, maybe it's same, same. But I had a really busy weekend last week. Loads of lovely social stuff from dinner with the girls to dinner with the in-laws to Mother's Day. And it was all very lovely. Um but peppered with alcohol and late nights. So all this week I've been playing catch up, low energy, bad skin. We've all been there. I often wonder, can we truly have it all? Social work, social life, work life, family life, relationship life, health life. Possibly not, but look, it was all worth it. And on Monday night, I went to see Diary of a CEO Live at the Helix in Dublin. Stephen Bartlett is the man behind it and the hugely successful podcast of the same name. He was a CEO in his early 20s and a multimillionaire by 23, but turned his back on it all, as he explains in his book, Happy Sexy Millionaire. That's how he thought he would feel, but the reality was he was burnt out, not living life, his business partner and best friend was an alcoholic, and the stress was unbearable. He's now an investor, the youngest ever dragon in the den on the UK show, And he speaks to people on his podcast about finding yourself at a crossroads in life and the true path to happiness. In the live stage show, he discusses these life lessons from following his gut to drop out of college to walking away from his company, as I've just explained. And he interweaves all this with video footage and music. He was joined on stage by the most incredible house gospel choir. And it got me thinking about the power of music. When we talk about health and wellness, we often forget about what a resource music is for our emotional well-being, whether it's the ability to lose yourself if you're lucky enough to play an instrument, to just listening to your favourite band in a gig or just driving in your car. We can use music to help us relax with 
a chilled playlist or turn our mood around with a dance in the kitchen or better still, the dance floor is back with our friends. And this week, Niall Breslin has been using his Wake Up Wind Down meditations on Spotify to showcase music to help us be more mindful. Because when we're truly listening to the lyrics or even singing along, we are very much in the moment. And doesn't that seem to be a bit less intimidating than being asked to be mindful? So maybe this week you could try and embrace music. I love being able to create my own playlists now. It is so much easier than recording off the radio onto a cassette tape. But I will say a mixtape in the 90s and noughties will always hold a place in my heart as the ultimate gift due to the sheer weight of the effort as well as the thought. I have a playlist for my late dad's favourite songs and as a family we add to it and I can really feel close to him when I listen to it. I've one for the kids' favourites, for my favourites and each one can evoke all kinds of memories and feelings. When I get up early and spend some time being still in the morning, wasn't very easy to do this week, I always play relaxing music and it really helps. It is powerful stuff and easily accessible and it's been great to see live gigs and festivals back because there's nothing like it or a sweaty dance floor, but you can conjure up similar from the comfort of your home. You can email the show aliveandkicking at newstalk.com. Now, the new National Health Watch report from webdoctor.ie was released this week. Over 1,600 people across Ireland were asked how the pandemic had impacted lifestyle habits and physical and mental health. To take a look at some of the findings, I'm joined by GP Dr Fergus Glynn. Fergus, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for asking, Claire. Are you related to Ronan Glynn? I am. <laughs> Stop it. I knew it was going to be some family of, of medics. <laughs> it's sort of distant relationship. Not, very, not, not super close, but not that far out either. Okay, okay. You weren't taking after both of your fathers. But this is good. The Glens are, are, are making their mark in the world of medicine, it yes, has indeed. to be said. So let's take a look at this report um, from National Health Watch um, and start with the good news, which there is plenty of. 89% of people plan to prioritise their health more in the next six months with nearly one third saying that they'll spend more time outdoors to achieve it. That's been a bit of a silver lining to the last couple of years, hasn't it? We learned about embracing the simple steps to good health, getting out for the walk to relieve stress and break up the working day and the importance of a, a greater work-life balance and a home-cooked meal and a, and a good night's sleep. We were really able to reflect that when the world slowed down. I totally agree. I think we've forgotten the basics and forgotten the importance of the basics in terms of of maintaining our, our physical and emotional well-being. And I think the pandemic gave us the opportunity or created an opportunity in which we did get to intentionally look at these aspects of our life. So I think that's a really, that was a really, I mean, there, there wasn't, there was some good things that came out of the, that came out of the pandemic, but that was certainly what, what was one of the good things. And it is really good news as people are spending, are keen to spend more time in the outdoors. And we know spending more time in the outdoors has numerous physical and health benefits and doing so regularly and doing something you really enjoy doing, walking, biking, and ideally in the company of people who's company you enjoy then exercise in the outdoors becomes a superpower with a with a plethora of mental and physical health benefits you know so and, and i mean the other thing that people need to remember you know you know they mentioned the exercise thing it can it can come bearing a lot of stigma in terms of you know the the sense that you're not supposed to you're, you're supposed to enjoy exercise but in, in, in actual fact as human beings you're not supposed to enjoy exercise for the sake of exercise it's an entirely false notion for 98 percent of our history as hunter gatherers we took every opportunity to conserve energy and would not not have we certainly would have gone for an evening stroll for its avowed health benefits. But an average 
average, we did do two or three hours on our feet foraging and hunting every day. So accepting that we're born to run and walk is important, but we need to, we need to know that it, you're not supposed to want to exercise just for the sake of it. We need to find ways of hacking it into our daily lives. And certainly going into the outdoors is a, is a wonderful way of doing that, you know? Yeah. And that, that, that feeling of really having to pull ourselves up from the couch, it's all sort of part of that, isn't it? That we're trying to conserve energy and you just, push yeah, through and yeah. keep going unless you're really tired and then it's time to listen and rest. It, 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 exactly. And then if you're tired and stressed as well, the other thing people need to remember is that the food you're going to look to eat in those moments is the high calorie, fatty, sugary food. Because from an evolutionary point of view, that's what we would have looked at for times of stress, in times of stress. So, um, and, and then another thing about stress is that 40% of, of the population will naturally eat more when they're stressed. It's a natural re- reflex on, part of, on the part of 40% of the, of the population. So, you know, I know a lot of people have gone away during, during the pandemic. That was normal, entirely normal for, for 40% of our population. So um, I think people need to give themselves a break, but obviously recognize that, that change is good and, and looking to get out and looking to, to, to be more intentional about the food they're eating and, and, and all of that is, is an important step to be taking. And have you noticed a change in conversations around health awareness at your surgery? Um, I think it's everywhere. I think I think the the, the pandemic has has you know emerging from a pandemic, people which which for many people felt like an existential threat. Not to mention the numerous the enormous stress that many families and individuals were subject to during this period because of that bereavement of you know not only bereavement of loved ones, working from home for last for, for, for during this period without without childcare. Um, uh, and, uh, I mean, people are, 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 are you know, they, they're glad they're coming out of it. Um, they realize that they were under the cosh for the last two years and they realize the importance, I think, now of, of being more intentional about doing the right thing by themselves, you know. And I think then they and their families and everything they're doing benefits, you know. 40% of people said their alcohol intake had decreased over the past 12 months, while three quarters of smokers plan to cut back or quit over the next six months. I was surprised at that, but I suppose we can flip it and say 60% of people perhaps increased or stayed the same when it came to drinking. As I felt people were home drinking a lot more than ever because there was nowhere else to do it. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I totally, I was, to be honest, honestly, I was a little bit surprised at those stats as well. I thought we'd be, we'd be seeing the other way around a little bit. But uh, I, I think as well, I think there may have been, uh, you know, I think talking to a lot of people over the last couple of years, their, their relationship with alcohol and the home ebbed and flow. They may have started off by, by increasing a little bit, but then realized that, 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 that came with it, that came with a price and, and, and a lot of them cut back. And, you know, and I think a lot of people, as much as they were under a lot of stress, they did, it, it, it did, as I said before, create the opportunity for them to be a little bit more intentional about looking after themselves and their family's health. So I think while it, it might have been, you know, in my experience it was an, an initial fill up, for, an initial sort of, you know, pick up in terms of alcohol consumption in a lot of people's uh, parts, I think people then became, you know, uh, became more wary of doing that and, and more aware of the of the impact of it. And I think they changed behavior accordingly, you know. Yeah, because as we were all well aware, it went on and on and on. So there were many and cycles and, on, and, on, and, and more and more reflection as it went on. Variants and yeah, yeah, for sure. And 95% of people say they're now comfortable having an online GP consultation. So did this start with people not wanting to risk getting COVID, taking their medical advice online, and now people are happy to continue with it? How do you feel about seeing patients this way? 
I mean, I mean, there's pros and cons and, and online consultation, don't get me wrong, it, it, it meets the requirements and very adequately and very safely. Uh, and um, for, 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 you know, a, a significant portion of the consultations that we're seeing in bricks and mortar surgeries, not, not a majority by any means, but a significant portion of them. And it can be done safely and with compassion and, and also with continuity. It's, it really was astonishingly, astonishing how rapidly the, po the population pivoted and adapted to this new mode of consultation. Because not only, you know, telehealth providers like ourselves, but GPs and the bricks and mortar practices. And traditionally, we got, it got acknowledged the most flexible and responsive and adaptable arm of the health service rapidly put in systems to allow them to pivot away from face to face towards video and telephone consultations. And so the, that combination of a resilient and impressively responsive primary health care sector, including telehealth. And an equally adaptable and flexible large population among our, our tech-savvy pop population here in Ireland of early adapters, online consultations, you know, much quicker than, than, than we anticipated really became mainstream. And, 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 and you'd be surprised quite early in the process how, you know, people who you wouldn't assume would be tech-savvy, now often with the support of people in the household who were tech-savvy, were coming on and getting real benefit from having timely access to to sound medical medical advice now in many instances that was that was advise them to go go to, to to that they needed to be seen in, a, in their face-to-face -face surgery or they need to go to A&E or we need to the, arrange an assessment in A&E or an ambulance, whatever. But it did certainly, you know, help. It was another arm of the health service that was able to to really respond to, to the crisis as it evolved. Now, as you said, there are some medical issues which wouldn't be served well online, but somewhere it works is with some sensitive matters if people feel a little bit more comfortable in their own home. 77% of people said they would prefer to use home testing kits for a sexual health check instead of attending a traditional clinic. And I think this is an important shift, isn't it? Empowering people to be responsible for their own health in conjunction with medical professionals. Absolutely. And I, I, you know, I think that's the emerging trend over the next 10 years. I think there's going to be a lot more near patient testing, patient tested, the assessment and surveillance of their own health that people can actually undertake very accurately and very competently at home. And that's only going to improve decision making in concert with their, their primary healthcare practitioner or their, their, their hospital based doctor. Um, I, I think we're at the very vanguard of this. I think, you know, you look at all of the, 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 the how this is evolving, um, around the world and this is very much the direction we're going to go and I think it's going to I think giving people agency taking the power a little bit away from from the medical professional I think is only going to be good for both parties I think this is a positive positive thing well for more you can go to webdoctor.iegp Dr Fergus Glynn thank you so much for coming on great stuff now have you ever not attended a party because of how you felt in your body passed up the opportunity to take a trip because of how your body looks Waited to have a family due to the fear of gaining weight. Stopped yourself from dating until you reached a goal weight. Not put your hand up for that promotion for fear of not looking the part. Or maybe you just feel like food and body image takes up too much of your brain space. These are all genuine stories from clients of nutritionist Neve Orbinski and she's been inspired to set up the first Health at Every Size Summit taking place next Saturday, April 9th in Dublin, bringing together a range of speakers and health experts to empower people to leave behind body and food obsession and lead a truly healthy and more fulfilled life. And Neve joins me in studio now. Hello, Neve. Thanks so much for having me, Claire. It sounds stark when I read out that list, how much someone's weight or thoughts around their body can hold them back. But it is a reality for a lot of people, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I see so many stories in clinic that 
it not only holds them back from seeking the medical care that they need, but it also holds them back from like living a full, expansive life and holds them back from so many things like, you know, pursuing relationships, from pursuing friendships, from just feeling free to go out on a Saturday night and not feel judged. So it really does impact people's lives on a, on a really deep level. And we are starting to talk a lot more now about the mind-body connection. But for years, I mean, through my teens, 20s and on into my 30s, I thought to be healthy was to be obsessed about your weight, your food, be restrictive, be punishing. That was the message that's been given out. Whereas we forget that you want to have a healthy relationship with your body, with the food that you're eating and be able to enjoy it. That's as important as what's on the scales. Yeah, I really feel that you can't truly pursue healthy eating until you have a healthy relationship with food. And the statistics around disordered eating in our society are stark. Um, We don't have a lot of data for men, unfortunately, because I feel like there's more shame around men having these issues and they don't come forward as much. But, you know, the statistics show us that um, up to 75% of women have some level of disordered eating, which is just, it's it's so normalised. We don't see it as an issue because it's your mom or your friend or your work colleague and it's just normal speak. So it's encouraged and perpetuated in our culture. And, you know, I was trained in a weight-centric model originally. I came from that that belief system as well, that you really need to focus on your weight in order to be healthy, that it's a huge part of health. But really, by focusing on weight, um, it kind of keeps us stuck in this dieting cycle. And a lot of people that I've spoken to and that have, um, I've been you know, privileged to hear their experiences have told me, and just like it's emulated in the research, by focusing on weight more and more, we actually get bigger and bigger over time, not smaller. Yeah, because we're having an impact on our metabolism as well as what we spoke about with self-worth and and all that side of things. And I think when it comes to disordered eating, we do talk a lot more about the opposite ends of the spectrum where things get really bad. Mm. And rightly so, those people need a, a lot of support and help. And, and it's great to see the stigma come down around that. But it's the middle lane, people. I don't think we think it's disordered eating to feel guilty if you've gone to a birthday party at the weekend, to plan exercise around that piece of cake you may have had, to cut out full food groups because of how it'll impact your weight. Mm. We don't think of that as disordered eating. No, not at all. And that middle of the road, like I'm really passionate about trying to help people heal from disordered eating in the middle before it progresses. Because our place on that spectrum that you mentioned, Claire, is not... It's not static. We can move up and down that spectrum. Um, And if we don't understand what disordered eating looks like, we may not think there's an issue and therefore we may not seek support or seek help. And, you know, it's not that everyone needs professional help for this. It could just be acknowledging and becoming aware that there are some patterns within yourself that you can question and challenge. Um, And it is absolutely possible to feel completely free around food, for it to take up a very small percentage of your brain space. Um, most of the people that I speak to, they say that food and body image takes up anywhere from 50 to 90% of their brain space every single day. And I'm really passionate about this for women specifically because how many women are being kept small by that? 
how many things does it stop them from pursuing in their life? I get messages from past clients and it's amazing. Like last week I got a message from someone to say that she had finally started her own business and it was because of that space that she got from not having to think about or worry about food and body image. Like this is what can happen when we look at that middle of the road, right? When we have just a, not an eating disorder, but maybe food is taking up a little bit more space than it needs to. Yeah. And if you take those thoughts away, imagine what you could be thinking about and putting into action. Talk to me a bit about the concept then of health at every size. So Health at Every Size is a framework that was um, pioneered by the Association for Size, Diversity and Health um, in 2003. But it was actually based on the tenets of the fat liberation movement in the 1960s. And really Health at Every Size is about putting weight loss to the back burner and not allowing weight to be our main focus for health. So it's a weight inclusive approach to health. And what that means is that we promote health-promoting behaviours regardless of their impact on weight. And the reason why we do that is because if we focus on weight and we allow weight to be our main determinant of success, and you know, most people when they maybe try to get healthy, weight loss is usually a part of that, right? So they might go on a plan and that might include lots of really health-promoting behaviours like maybe getting more exercise in, maybe eating more vegetables, but it's attached to diet culture and rules and restrictions a lot of the time. And if someone doesn't see the result on the scales, which can be happening for a number of different reasons, we usually give up because we are taught that if we're not losing weight, we're not doing it right. We must be doing something wrong. So then we feel really bad about ourselves and we probably, you know, throw out all of the behaviours that actually do encourage um, internal health and we get stuck in this cycle. So Health at Every Size is about moving away from weight and focusing on health promoting behaviours irrespective of their outcome on weight. And one of the criticisms that comes back about this is that it's promoting obesity, but that's not the fact. I mean, you've just explained it really nicely there. It's not about celebrating or promoting that it's about trying to introduce healthy habits without a focus on weight yeah yeah and it's about honoring that size diversity is real and some people are born larger than society accepts and that this doesn't mean that it's their fault um but unfortunately if you're above a certain size the message usually is you've done something wrong and i have sat in front of people that are doing their absolute best and their weight is not changing. And you could have two people, one person in a straight-sized body and one person in a larger body, and they could be eating the exact same thing. They could be moving in the exact same way. They could be doing all the right things, but doesn't mean that they will end up in the same body size. And there's a whole it's very complex conversation around, you know, weight stigma and weight discrimination, and how that affects somebody's health as well, because that's stressful. I mean, some of the stories that I hear in clinic would make you, would break your heart, break your heart. And think about what it's like to something small, like get on the Lewis. Now, those Lewis chairs are tiny. And for someone next to you to throw you a dirty look, that's stressful. For people, And that 
results in this this onslaught of stress hormones in the body and that impacts inflammation, that impacts stress and that impacts health in the long term. So part of Health at Every Size is about trying to reduce anti-fat bias and reduce weight stigma so that we're creating the space for people in larger bodies to feel empowered and to actually start looking after their health rather than shaming them and making them smaller. And when we feel shame, we don't feel empowered. And outside of the Lewis, that's going on in people's homes. Mm. They're waking up, they're looking in the mirror, they're giving themselves a dirty look. They're getting on the scales, they're not seeing what they have been told they should be seeing. That starts again. And then, as you say, that's affecting stress hormones. And if they are restrictive eating, then that's having an impact on their metabolism and how their body functions. And we're just not talking about that enough. Likewise, having compassion for all the very many reasons somebody can be in a bigger body and making them feel like they can fit in to society a little bit more. So tell me a bit about this summit that is on next Saturday in Dublin. Who will be there? So there's a number of different health experts that we're bringing together that um, are committed to Hazeline practice. Um, so what we've tried to do is look at all areas of health at every size, of which there are five guiding principles. So we have Dr. Mag Steele, who is a lecturer down in UCC, and she's going to talk about you know the real science behind weight and 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 look at why we need to stop focusing on weight. Then we have another researcher called Dr. Aideen Butler. And she is going to talk a little bit about the haze and intuitive eating research. And then we have a psychotherapist as well who's going to talk about shame, which I'm really excited about, um, and self-compassion and self-acceptance on a healing journey because, you know, we need to acknowledge as well that moving away from weight is less challenging for people who live in straight-sized bodies because they maybe don't face societal oppression. But for those who do live in larger bodies, there are more challenges that these people face. So it's like the, the playing field is not equal, right? Um, and shame can really come up um, for many people, for all people in, in all size bodies, but definitely for those who experience oppression. So it was really important for us to kind of speak to that. And then we also have June Lanigan, who is a physiotherapist, and she's going to talk about how we can look at things like, you know, back pain and ankle pain and hip pain and how to integrate a movement practice no matter your body size. And then I have myself, I'm doing a session as well on how to access your inner expert. So how to like um, really tap into your internal wisdom around your health um, so that we can shut out the external rules and restrictions and regulations, which is so confusing. I call it like being in a pub on Paddy's Day and not being able to hear yourself think. Oh, you're so <laughs> right, especially with health and wellness. It's gone crazy. Are we paleo? Are we vegan? Yeah. Are we cutting out carbs? Are we lifting weights? Are we running? Are we doing all of that? You know, are we meditating? And it just becomes so noisy yeah. that you get paralysed. And I know you have Gillian Crow from Intuitive Eating Ireland and you'd be looking at that. So who would you suggest goes along to this? Um, God, anyone. And I must I must not forget Carly. <laughs> um, just before I was talking it up in my head there. And um, we also have Carly Keegan, who is going to talk about lived experience as well, which is also a really important thing to, to highlight. Um, so anyone really, I mean, anyone that wants to 
shut out that external noise and start listening to that expert within. Anyone that is maybe intrigued, like you don't have to be fully, you know, I'm giving up looking at my weight forever. Even if you just want to dip your toe in and see what the whole world is about, look at a different approach to health. Um, But also we're appealing to health professionals to come to this event too. Because it is such a new concept in Ireland, um, it would be great for more health professionals to understand, you know, the, the the impact of weight stigma from, you know, people like Carly who are going to talk about their lived experience and people like um, Mags is also going to speak a little bit to this um, and, and how they can bring a little bit more weight inclusive practice into their own practice as well. So really anyone, <laughs> I feel like, um, would definitely learn something from the event. Yeah, and I think we've spoken quite well about the sheer respect You don't have to have been somebody who has literally battled with their weight all their lives, although this would be a fantastic place for you to come. But it's also those middle lane people who have spent between 50 and 90 percent of their time obsessing about food and how they look. So I'm excited. Full disclosure, I'm hosting the event and delighted to be. I am committed to sharing this message about true health, starting with positive self-worth and nourishing our bodies with food and moving them in a way we love. And I'm also looking forward to learning as well from a lot of the experts and being a student there too. Tickets are limited, but there are still some available. It's taking place Saturday the 9th of April at 1pm at the Marker Hotel in Dublin. And you can find out more at nutritionwithneve.com. Neve Orbinski, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks so much. Fiona Brennan is a clinical hypnotherapist, keynote speaker and best-selling author of The Positive Habit and The Self-Love Habit. She's just launched a new online course called Light Up the World and she joins me in studio now. Hello, Fiona. How are you? I'm great, Claire. Thanks so much. So can you explain what a clinical hypnotherapist is? Absolutely. Um, What I do every day is I meet people who are struggling in some way, whether it's stress, anxiety. Anxiety is is what I specialise in. And generally, the client is is feeling really overwhelmed. So what I do, what hypnotherapy is a tool. That's really all it is in a sense of helping someone to feel calmer. So what we want to do is help the person's mind slow down. (laughs) Because our minds, Claire, as I'm sure you're aware, are going 10 to the dozen. And what's really interesting is that when I first start to work with a client, it's almost like I can hear their their speed. It's like a washing machine on high speed. And eventually with time through the hypnotherapy, through repetition, their minds get so much calmer. And it's just, it's really lovely and beautiful to watch. And when your mind is calmer, there's more space. There's more space for you to um, embrace who you are and what you truly desire in your life as opposed to operating on automatic pilot. So hypnotherapy is essentially accessing the subconscious and it's very, very powerful for neuroplastic change, which is um, it kind of accelerates neuroplastic change because when we're in that place of what Dr. Andrew Hooperman calls NSDR, which is non-sleep deep rest, we have a very heightened focus. So we've got a really sharp focus. You know that sort of, like when you're in the flow state and time is, is, is passing in a way that you're just not even aware of. Hypnotherapy is very effective at doing that, but it does need repetition. And that's why, for example, this new, which I'm very excited about, Light Up Your World online course is habit-based so that the audios are so integral in terms of repetition, the hypnotherapy, the meditation audios, 
that's where, you know, over the last decade I've been working on this is you really see the transition with people who maintain that habit of listening. And it's very effortless. You can do it lasting at night, which is lovely. So you're going off to sleep. Very effective for people who uh, have insomnia or sleep issues or wake up, you know, they might get to sleep, but then they wake up at three, four in the morning. You can put back in this lovely audio, my voice guiding you to sleep. And um, it's just a really lovely way to not just sort of manage your uh, mental health, but to to really accelerate it in terms of potential. And I'm a big believer in possibility of what we're capable of when we are feeling much more grounded. And that's, that is what the world needs now. You know, there's just so much stress and anxiety out there. And it's really uh, important that people have access to well-researched, high-quality material that is going to actually help them. And we had a GP on earlier and we were talking about evolution and the way we would have been in caveman times. And he was more talking about us getting exercise and food. But would a caveman or woman have been sitting there, the brain going nine to the dozen? Or have we, are, are we out of how our brain is supposed to work when we're flooded with so much information all at one time? Yeah, I suppose, I mean, it's hard to know because I haven't been a caveman, but I, I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind trying, Claire. But we can only imagine, and we can imagine that there was a lot less noise, a lot less distraction. So one of the greatest things that we're addicted to, I think, now as we evolve as human beings, and Eckhart Tolle would would be very much in line with this, is that we're addicted to thinking, and there really isn't space between our thoughts, and that is a great cause of suffering. Because when you're identified to the thoughts in your mind, you're not able to get the clear picture of what's going on. So again, I can imagine the caveman, you know, let's say he's had stress. Because it can't have been easy. It can't. (laughs) Having said that, I don't think I want to try. Yeah, It can't have been easy at all. However, right, there was respite. And if you even think of the word cave, it's it's a place of going in. It's a, a place of like a sanctuary to get away from the danger, away from the noise. Modern man doesn't have that same uh, respite because it's everywhere in terms of our phones, the news, information. It's an information overload. So essentially, we need to do two things. We need to, to be more autonomous. We need to take proactive, you know, to be proactive in, in creating healthy boundaries for our mind in the same way that, you know, we, we think about what kind of food we're going to eat and what's going to to be food and what's going, what's going to be medicine and what's going to be poison. It's the same for information. You know, it's like, what are we actually in, uh, digesting into our brains and how malleable our brains are and how vulnerable they are in a sense when if somebody is listening to the news literally, you know, on the air every hour, well, then that's clearly going to create some kind of, of anxiety and, and, you know, your nervous system is going to feel in, incredibly jarred and wired. So hypnotherapy is where you're actually you know, it's like I love to think of, of our consciousness like a torch that we direct it in the, you know, what what actually serves us. So if you can imagine using your mind in a way that like a light, and that's what this course is about. It's like lighting up your world. You're using your own consciousness to to manifest and to create what it is that, that, that you wish for yourself and your loved ones. 
And a big part of it is actually rising above yourself. Um, you know, um, it's it's really being the light that helps others to see. So when you do this work on yourself, and it does require work in the sense that you're you're spending more time reflecting, perhaps journaling. You know, there is a lot of journaling exercises in it as well. And what you're doing is you're 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 creating a higher level of consciousness that is a gift to you. But it's a gift to everyone. If you're a parent, if you're, you know, in your uh, busy place of work, when you are in that calmer state, other people are going to to really feel the shift in your energy. And that's how we, we really help others by being able to see opportunities of, of how we can serve. And when our mind is so busy, back to the addiction of thoughts, well, we can't see that. You can't see, well, oh, there is something I could actually do that would really help that person. Um, so I truly believe that self-care and self-love is is selfless because it does help to ignite a, a, a sort of evolution of altruism. And that's something I, I really believe in um, why it's so important to do courses such as this or, or you know, to, to really dig that little bit deeper um, into our own emotional well-being, uh, to learn from our negative thoughts because negative thoughts and emotions are really pointers to, to what's going on. They're not negative per se, even though, you know, I've written a book called The Positive Habit. My business is called The Positive Habit. I often say like the most positive thing we can do is actually embrace our negative emotions, sit with them, have the courage to be with them. Um, and I talk a lot about acceptance. I really, truly believe in, in how powerful and transformative acceptance is. Um, because when we're in that state of resistance, we're, we can't move forward. And yet that is the sort of default, if you like, going back to the, the negativity bias of the brain or the caveman or evolution. It, it is a sense of, of really being stuck and resisting um, something that is painful, like that we seek the pleasure and we avoid the pain. And with our emotional health, the way to alleviate the pain is to actually sit with it uh, so that it doesn't escalate into suffering. Because we are moving into a very different time or we're very much part of a different time. There's more awareness on a global scale than there ever has. And some big hitters, war, climate crisis, the pandemic, but also movements like Me Too, Black Lives Matter, a whole host of, of a different shift in thinking. But... We need the self-awareness, I suppose, to be able to, to take all of that on and, and manage that because you were inspired by looking at some of the stats that have come out of the last couple of years and how people have been affected with anxiety and stress levels on the increase with poor sleep that they didn't have before. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we need to find this way of, of processing it all and, and not having it consume us and paralyze us. Yeah, exactly, Claire. That's that's really well um, observed. And Thich Nhat Hanh said a, a few years ago, um, if you know his work, you know, the beautiful Vietnamese monk who, who passed away earlier this year, he, um, he he spoke exactly about that. And he talked about how self-love and self-compassion is ultimately what will save the world. And he was referring to climate change there in terms of how when you are aware of when you've moved, let's say, beyond your own suffering, that is when you're able to actually embrace the, the bigger questions because you're not caught up with 
the sort of uh, the ego or what's happening just in your world, but you have the energy and you have the clarity to actually help and, and, and to make the world a better place. Um, and that's what this course is, is, is designed to do ultimately. I always think of the Viktor Frankl quote that I'm going to butcher now, but that <laughs> yeah. between something happening and our reaction, there's a space and it's about trying to tap into that space. Exactly. Now, look, we've all been there. We've lost it in the traffic. We've shouted at our kids. We have. We've lost yes. it with our partner, whatever. Yeah. We, yeah. It's not like we're going to be able to stop at every moment, become Zen and the whole world will be lit up. But yes, our reaction speeds will change as you say when we slow the mind down exactly yeah it is it's it's between stimulus and response there is a space and that's exactly it and and the more that we are aware of that space the less it happens and the less it happens the kinder we are to ourselves because you know in my work i hear so many people being incredibly hard on themselves and beating themselves up you know for example that that's a great uh example of somebody, you know, losing it with their child and the guilt that they feel afterwards is horrendous. And that guilt then leads to other, you know, so it's kind of like this awful self-fulfilling um, prophecy, a, a vicious circle, if you like. And that awareness is, is, is the most powerful tool because you can step in there and you can feel the emotion rising, you know, absolutely human to feel irritation, uh, frustration, whatever it may be. But there is the magic then of being able to just notice I'm not I'm not actually expressing that I'm not having to to shout it out, you know, from the rooftops. I'm actually able to breathe. I'm able to accept. I'm able to offer myself compassion. And that is over time, it very, very healing, both for, of course, yourself and the child involved. So it's 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 a win win, really. That's how I look at it. Yeah. And it's the awareness, isn't it, to go, what made me lose it? OK, yes, toddlers yes. and children can be frustrating. But was it because you didn't take the time to finish your breakfast? You didn't prepare something the night before. So you were stressed. You were late. And it's not about blame, but it's no. about how can I fix this exactly. going forward so I'm not as stressed in the moment. So it's about taking that time rather than just beating yourself, but just questioning it, yeah. becoming aware of it. And yes. that makes a big difference. So yeah. people can find out more about the course at thepositivehabit.com. But would you have a little piece of advice for people now as to what they can do on a daily basis to help cope with the stresses that life throws at them? Well, the most effective tool that I use myself that I recommend to my clients is the breath. Simply focus and follow your breath and not your thoughts, because your thoughts will bring you on unbelievable journeys of uh, catastrophizing and fear, especially if you have a propensity towards anxiety. We need to look at this in, in the sense that it is a very physical condition, uh, stress and anxiety. So working with the body is what makes the most sense. Um, for example, the work of, of Bezel van der Kock, you know, the body keeps the score. It's, it's so much emotion and stress is held within the body. So we've got to work with it in terms of breath is the language of calmness. You know, and I practice it myself. I'll be aware when my, my own, you know, stress levels are going up. I'll just say sweetheart to myself, uh, Breathe and keep breathing until you feel that sense of being grounded returning to you and it will come. And sometimes you have to breathe and breathe and breathe and breathe. And sometimes it could be a day of breathing, but it is so much more um, 
effective, so much more beneficial to your health in every sense, your physical, mental, emotional, every every part of you benefits and you're activating your parasympathetic nervous system. And that's what we want so that you're not getting into the chronic state. A little bit of stress is absolutely a positive thing. We all need it. But when it starts to tip over, which it is for so many people, that's when we want to step in and really work with yourself gently, compassionately, breathe. Oh, Fiona, thank you for lighting up our world. <laughs> that website again is thepositivehabit.com. Fiona Brennan, thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure, Claire. Thank you. So that's it for Alive and Kicking for this week. My thanks to my producer, Aidan McKelvey and Jojo Cordoza, who was on sound. And thanks as ever to you for listening. I will see you next week. Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna on News Talk.